welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Schell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. I'm going to do a series. I haven't done a series on anything for a long time on the Holy Spirit. I've been actually preparing kind of a a little outline uh, for years. Uh, just, Just writing this down and having a sense of we need to present an understanding of the theology of the, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and of the life of the Holy Spirit. You know, there is a, there's doctrines out there where people have taught intensely and they've taught about cessationism. Do you know that word, cessationism? The idea being that the gifts of the Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, went out uh, when the Bible was written. The, the thinking is uh, that once we have the Bible, we didn't need the gifts of the Holy Spirit, those kinds of powerful gifts anymore. That those were really meant just to validate the authors and, and show that they, they had God's approval. And so once, once they wrote their book, we now have a book and we don't need that anymore. The man who actually developed that was a, was a fan of Charles Darwin. I'm not making that up. He was. He loved Darwinian evolution. And so he basically took Darwinian evolution and took it to the Bible. So that he sees the Bible as a spiritual evolution where you you go through this season and then there's this season and then there's this season. And the season of the Holy Spirit and the miracle power of God was one season and it's actually a past season. We are now in another season. And so that period of miracles and and of, of word of knowledge and word of wisdom of praying for the sick and all of those kinds of things has passed. Now if that's the case... Anything anyone tries to do today, in other words, if you speak in tongues or you pray for the sick or, you, or you, some of these kinds of things, is by definition not God. Because God in that theology quit doing it. Oh, they debate, you know, but basically when St. John died, you know, he, he was the oldest of the, of, the, of the authors of the Bible. And so uh, when he died somewhere around in the 90s uh, AD, uh, then the spirit left, or some will argue, well, when the Bible was finally collected, but it gets iffy. But somewhere in there, God stopped. So if somebody speaks in tongues now, it's got to be demonic or at least, at least some kind of psychological disorder. Because it ain't God. Not by that definition. And, and you don't pray for the sick. That, that, was, for, that was for another time. That, the problem is, People who believe stuff like that write books and multi-volume series. Pentecostals, we write tracts <laughs> about how we were a drug addict in New York and we got saved. And hallelujah for saved drug addicts in New York. I'm all for it. I read the tracts. I like it. But at some point, we need to say, Why do, what does the Bible say? Are we supposed to be walking in the power of God? Are we supposed to see the gifts and, and things of God at work now or not? What does it say? And everybody has to decide what, you, what, what is your foundation of truth. I mean, what are you going to believe? I have decided to believe the Bible. So I want to know what it says. And that's what we're going to have a look at. And, and today we're going to talk about who is the Holy Spirit. And then uh, we're going to look at God's original plan for us. Lord, open our ears. We want to hear you, open our eyes to see you, 
We present to you today soft, tender hearts. That which is true, may it resonate. We want to believe, Lord. We want to be men and women full of the Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit boldly and joyfully. Pray for that grace. Lord, I ask you to help me get out of the way and let us hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Who is the Holy Spirit? That question is more difficult to answer than you might think. We encounter an element of mystery when we try to understand this person of God. Have you felt it? Have you felt, as I read through the Bible, I, I, I understand the Father, uh, I see a clear explanation and understanding of the Son, but who is the Holy Spirit? Uh, and has it been a bit of a confusion to you? I'll just tell you it has to me. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm looking at it. I know I, I, I believe certain things because I've, I've been told this is the truth. But it, as in terms of just understanding it, have it kind of click inside where I go, okay, I, I see that. I get that. Um, it really wasn't until we went through the Gospel of John that I saw, okay, I get it. Because John, Jesus is clear. Look, of all the voices in the world, I believe Jesus. Amen. And, and if, if the Son of God says something, and he's clear about it. Then, then to me, that's it. And he does speak. And we'll, we'll have a look at that in a minute. In the first, uh, we meet him, the Holy Spirit, in the second verse of the Bible. In the first verse, we're told that God created the heavens and the earth. And then in the second, we are told that, that the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters in a world which was formless and void. Tohu vabohu is the Hebrew. Now, em formless, or empty, empty and formless. Formless and empty, actually. Uh, just this, this. So you have this picture of a, of a world that is a, a ball of water. It's dark. There's no, there's no anything. In verse 1, God speaks and says, let there be. And, you have, and then you have the Holy Spirit. And that verb, hovered, is actually, it is the verb. Isaiah uses the same word when he, when he talks about an eagle hovering over her nest and her young. And so you have a picture of the Holy Spirit hovering over this formless, void ball of water and darkness and bringing the, 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 the land out of it and separating the waters and bringing up the land and causing a world and creating a world. He is the active agent hovering there. And as we progress through the Bible, we encounter many references to him. But in the Old Testament, no clear definition is provided. We are left to wonder as to whether or not the authors were speaking about a separate person of God, or whether they were merely using the term Spirit of God as a way of saying God. It seems uncertain as to whether the Spirit of God is simply the active presence of God the Father at work in a particular situation, or whether he, he is a distinct person, separate from, though equal in nature to, the Father. Here are a few examples of such passages. During the Exodus, the Lord caused a man named Bezalel to be filled with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, and in knowledge, and in all craftsmanship. Now, it's interesting. It, it doesn't say God came over him. He said he sent the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God comes over Bezalel and Aholiab, another man. And, the, and, and they suddenly have wisdom. They have knowledge and they have craftsmanship. The Spirit comes. You know, on another occasion, the Lord 
took of the Spirit, who was upon Moses, and placed him upon 70 elders. And when the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied. Do you remember this? Uh, Moses is overworked, he's overdone, and we've got to share this ministry. And so the Lord takes, takes of the Spirit that was on Moses... And sends it out over 70. And actually, actually were two more uh, who weren't, didn't happen to be in that particular assemble, assembly. And they began to prophesy. It doesn't say God came over them. It says they sent this spirit. But it, you still aren't sure. Later, the spirit of the Lord came upon Israel's judges. And when he did, they became bold and strong. I wanted to say wise, but Samson's one of them. And there's just no way you can say Samson's wise in any form. But... Um, when the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul, he prophesied. Now Saul, this is very early in Saul's, uh, King Saul, he's, he's just become the king. He's, he, he's, he's still just sort of a, a reason to be carnal man. And he comes out to this group of prophets with Samuel. And the power hits him. And he goes down. I mean, literally, what do you all call it? Slain in the Spirit. Down he is for three days, naked, prophesying. Now, people, that's, I would call that Pentecostal, wouldn't you? I mean, that's pretty wild. And that's Old Testament. Do you follow this? And here is the power of God so strong on this gathering of prophets that this normal uh, man, Saul, comes into the midst, power hits him, down he goes, and he prophesies for three days. For three days, he's transformed by this powerful presence. When the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David when, he, when the prophet Samuel anointed him with oil. This is a beautiful, uh, beautiful uh, moment in David's life. Samuel shows up at the household of Jesse there in Bethlehem. Uh, Saul has, has violated the Lord. Uh, he has uh, done some things where he's, he's taken uh, presumptuously. He's acted like a priest, and he's not. Uh, he's been impatient. He's, he's lied. And God literally lifts the spirit from him. And Je Samuel goes to this household and goes right down the whole list of sons. What is it, seven of them? And none of them is the right one. And he says, have you no others? And they say, well, we've got the youngest. He's out with the sheep. And then Samuel says, we will stand and wait for him. In other words, we are not going to sit down until his majesty arrives. <laughs> Can you imagine the seven brothers? And in comes David. What? You know, here comes. He says, I didn't do it. I don't know what they said. I did not. Why are we here? It had to be oh, quite the moment. But what, Dave, what Samuel does is just gorgeous. He takes a whole horn of oil. You know, like a cow's horn. It would have been with, probably covered with leather. And he takes this horn of oil and he pours the whole thing over David's head. And so it just drizzles down of him, you know, covers him. And, and the Bible says, and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David. Now, David never forgets this. I mean, this, this is just, this just scars him. I mean, this is this, this moment. Uh, in Psalm 133, he writes something uh, very insightful. He, he says, he says, how beautiful and ple pleasant and beautiful it is, beautiful and pleasant, when brothers dwell together in unity. He said, it's like the oil over the head, even over Aaron's head, you know, which comes down over his beard and drizzles down his robes. How does he know about this drizzling? Because it happened to him. 
yeah, Samuel came and poured that horn of oil. And he talks, he talks about, he's, he's remembering, I think. He's remembering that moment when the Spirit of the Lord, not just oil, but the power of God came over him and poured over him. After sinning with Bathsheba, David begged God not to take his Holy Spirit from him. Remember? Saul lost the Holy Spirit for, for violating his role as a, as a king and stepping into the priestly realm. He, he, uh, he, he, he did a number of things, and they were bad. But David's a murderer. He has arranged to murder one of his most loyal soldiers and take the man's wife and sleep with her. David should be stoned. And what David prays in Psalm 51, he says, Oh God, do not take the Holy Spirit from me. See, he had watched the Spirit of the Lord leave Saul. And Saul went mad. You remember? Yeah, he became dep savagely depressed. And he'd have these moods and he'd become violent. And, and the whole thing. And David knows he deserves worse. And he, and he begs God, he says, don't. Take the Holy Spirit from me. He's not talking theology. He, this is tangible stuff. Don't take this powerful presence away from me, O oh God. Isaiah prophesied that the Spirit of the Lord would rest upon the Messiah and his presence would, be, would bring to him wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. That when, the Messiah himself will have the anointing of the Spirit that will come over him, and then these, 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 these uh, manifestations will be wisdom, understanding, counsel. In the book of Revelation, do you, do you recall, before the throne of God, there are seven spirits? Yeah, well, that's where it comes from. That's the list. Isaiah also prophesied that when the king, kingdom of God arrived, the Spirit would be poured out upon the earth, and the wilderness would become a fertile field. The earth is cursed, but God is going to restore that. And the day will come when he will cover this planet with the glory of God like the waters cover the sea. You might say the planet will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And when it does, the very plants will change. The, 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 that which is barren and dry and dead will come to life. The animals will change. The carni carnivorous will cease to eat other animals, uh, the, the lion and the, uh, will lie down with the lamb and the, the, the wolf will eat, or the, will eat straw like an ox. Uh, the, the child will play by the adder's hole and be safe. You see, you see it? The spirit of the Lord will cover this planet and come in power and everything will be changed. Habakkuk said the same thing. Through Isaiah, we hear the Messiah declare that he can proclaim God's message because the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. This is what this was Jesus' first message. He steps into his own home synagogue. Well, I don't know if it's his first, but it's his first one at home. And he goes into his synagogue and he reads from Isaiah 61 verse 1. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me for he, he's anointed me to preach good news to the captives. Remember, and he starts out with, with, with all of that. He says, I'm doing it. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel prophesied that a day would come when God would place his spirit inside his people. 
He uses that term. He talks about their innermost being. He uses a word that means body cavity. Jesus uses the same identical word in, in, Gen, in John 7 uh, when he says, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Out of your body cavity. The Spirit of God will literally come, he says, and dwell inside you even as Ezekiel had prophesied. Joel prophesied that in the last days, God would pour out his spirit on all humans, whether male or female, whether young or old. And what will they do when he shows up? They will prophesy. In these passages, the Holy Spirit is always spoken of as the Lord's spirit or the spirit of God. God sends him upon people and ministers through such people by the, by the spirit. That there is a spirit of God is without question in the Old Testament. But that he is a distinct person and not an emanation of the Father is not easily discerned. Do you know what an emanation is? The idea is, there, is the Holy Spirit a distinct person or is it sort of the God the Father just sort of extending himself like expanding out and having a chunk of him over this person. It's like an amoeba, you know, with a false foot, you know, out, out goes this bulge. And so it's like God would bulge down and, and would be upon you, and then he'd bulge back up, or I mean, whatever. Emanation. There's a whole lot of people that think of the Holy Spirit like that. It's just, it's just God sort of coming down and bulging down and coming up and like that. Or is he a distinct person? In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is spoken of often. And it becomes much more evident that he is a distinct person of God. Here are some examples. Joseph was told by an angel that the child in Mary had been conceived by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just say that by, by God. He says conceived by the Holy Spirit, which is, why did he say it that way? John the Baptist prophesied that the coming Messiah would baptize people in the Holy Spirit, like he, had ba he baptized people in water. And then he saw the Spirit of God descend from heaven and alight on Jesus like a dove. And he heard the Father say, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Picture that. There's Jesus standing probably up to his waist in, in, the, in, the, in the Jordan River. John's standing there and has, has apparently baptized him, brings him up. He's dripping wet. Heaven's open, and you hear a voice from the Father say, My beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then the, and the Spirit descends on him like a dove and rests upon him. There is the Father, there is the Son, and there is the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you, you, they're just, you can see it. The resurrected Jesus told his followers to make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, believers were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. But it is when we read the Gospel of John that the person and role of the Holy Spirit is seen most clearly. Through John, we hear Jesus say that after his resurrection, his disciples will have God's presence dwelling within them by means of the Holy Spirit. Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as a person distinct from the Father and himself. He refers to him as another helper. Would you say another helper? 
the, the, the word, he, he using a word which means another of the same kind. In the Greek language, there's a distinct word for another of the same kind, and there's an, as a word, as I'll show you in a second, another of a different kind, rather than the word which means another of a different kind, heteros. And so Jesus says, God's going to send another helper. Why would he say that? He's, he's pointing, why didn't, he, he didn't say, he, God's going to come. He said, he's going to send another, another paraclete, another who comes alongside and helps you when you're, when you're in need. He repeatedly uses the masculine demonstrative pronoun, that one, to refer to the Holy Spirit. Look, that demonstrative pronoun takes the gender of the person you're speaking about. So Jesus not only says he's going to send another, but he begins to talk about him and he talks about his he. He calls him he, and he could have called him it. He says he's another, and he calls him he, and he does it a number of times. I think I give you those references. He said that he would ask the Father for the Spirit so that he could send him to his followers. And after he was resurrected, he breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit, symbolizing that the Spirit would be given to them through him. And that that gift began to arrive on the day of Pentecost. He says, when I ascend to the Father, I will ask the Father, and the Father will give the Holy Spirit, and I will send him to you. So through Jesus, from the Father. Since Jesus is the only begotten God, the divine son who came from heaven to become a man. When he reveals to us that the spirit is another person of God, distinct from the father and himself, we discover that there are three persons within the presence and power whom we call God. There is a father from whom all things have come and for whom all things exist. You and I exist for him. He didn't just make us and sort of turn us loose. You and I have been made for him. Why? He longed for a family, as it were, for children. And so we have been created that we might know him and enjoy him and be with him. We've been made in his image for a reason. All of this has a great purpose. We're headed back to our heavenly father. You exist. You draw breath. I exist. I draw breath. Because he wants us. He wants me to know him and love him and be with him. This is our God. There are three persons within the presence. There is a father from whom are all things have come. And for whom all things exist. A son who was begotten by the father. And so shares his divine nature. And at his father's command, spoke all things into existence. Do you understand that? That, again, John 1, it's, it is so clear. Uh, John will say, all, all things came into being through him, meaning Jesus. The word, the word which became flesh. All things, he said, and apart from him, nothing that has come into being came into being. The father says, I want, a, I want a universe. The son speaks. And the Holy Spirit hovers and, and, and creates it. All things have come through the son. And the Holy Spirit 
who has been sent to us from the Father through the Son and by whom are humans, pardon me, and the Holy Spirit who has been sent to us from the Father through the Son and by whom our human spirit is joined to the Father and the Son. It is the Holy Spirit who comes to dwell within us and connect us to the Father and the Son. Jesus says, when he comes, I and the Father will make our abode in you. By him. Having recognized that within our God, there are three persons who are all of the same divine nature and capacity. We also recognize that each person has a different role. The Father is the source of all things and the one for whom all things exist. Which is why the entire plan of the Bible is centered on restoring our relationship to him. The Son is the one through whom the Father carried out his creation. And because of his Son's willing sacrifice of himself on the cross, he has commanded all creation to submit to his son. That Philippians passage is very clear and very powerful. Paul says, all right, Jesus left the glories of heaven, laid them aside, became a man, not only a man, but died on the cross for, for us. And, and then he says, therefore God hath highly exalted him. Because of what he's done, therefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, whether in heaven or on earth or under the earth. And he says, to the glory of God the Father. God, God has now ordered that because of his son's great sacrifice, he has commanded all things to submit to his son. And then the Bible says that when, and, and we're in that period of time right now. When all things are being brought into submission to Jesus Christ. You can still see rebellion. It's going on. But what you, what you may not see is that hundreds of thousands of people on, on a regular basis are, are turning to Jesus Christ willingly. Knees are bowing willingly. The day will come when all knees will bow unwillingly. If you, if you have not, you will. And you will call him Lord. And you will tremble in his presence. Oh, yes, you will. Oh, yes, you will. But now we're in a season. Last service, uh, somebody shared, uh, or the, the transitional pastor shared, uh, just a situation where a family had just gone out to, to a family member who was dying. And the family member, had, they had told the gospel, and they thought that the person had resent, resisted it. And then they came back a week later, just days before the man died, and uh, had, had, had said, do you know the Lord? And they said, yes. And they said, well, when did you meet him? And they said, last week when you told me about him. <laughs> that person bowed their knee before they crossed the line. This is what we're about now. See, you are, you are spiritual. Do you, do you understand that? You, you are a spirit. You aren't a body. You live in your body. But when you die, the moment you die, you, the conscious you that I'm talking to right now, just goes right off into the presence of God. This is a machine. You live in the machine. You aren't the machine. Do you follow? You are spirit. So no one can say, I'm not spiritual, pastor. That's for some people. You're as spiritual as anybody on the planet. 
You can't get away from it. It's who you are. It's the way you're made. It's what, it's what you are. You are a spiritual being. Are you willing to learn to listen to that and walk in who you are? That's the question. But that you're spiritual, that you're capable, that the capacities are there to be all of these things. You've been designed for this. This is how God made you. This isn't, see, the point of this, the Holy Spirit, our walking in the Spirit is not, a, not some strange thing or some, some flighty thing for certain individuals. This is foundational. This is how God started it, and it's how God will end it. We are all to walk in him. And now, as the resurrected Lord, Jesus is in the process of bringing all things into submission to himself. And when that work is complete, he will present a submitted universe to the Father as a gift of his love so that the Father might receive the honor that belongs to him. The Bible says that once all things are brought into submission, Jesus will offer it to the Father that the Father may be glorified in all things. The Holy Spirit is the one by whom the work of God is performed. Whether it be the creation of the material world, the active presence of God in a believer's life, or the glorious transformation of this planet in the age to come. The Holy Spirit is the hand of God by whom these works are accomplished. And it is his presence within us that joins us spiritually to the Father and the Son. He is the one who actively comforts, guides, convicts, and counsels us. But he does so in a way in which our experience of God is seamless. Because of the perfect unity between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do not experience any difference between them in will, capacity, or character. Do you notice? You don't experience three persons. You experience God. Among them, there is only one will. And that is the will of the Father. And the Son, the Son constantly points us to him. And the Holy Spirit constantly explains to us what Jesus has said. So we experience God as one consistent person. Yet scripture has shown us that within this one we call God. There is a community of three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who are one in nature. One in character. And one in purpose. That's the best I can do. Restoring what was lost. Now let's, talk, let's, let's see where this goes with us. You and I were designed by God to live in the presence of the Holy Spirit. You've got lungs that have been designed to breathe air. If you, took, if you removed air from us, we, just, we extinguish. Well, you were designed to be in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, not only, this isn't simply an exceptional thing. This is, the, this is normal. Like a fish immersed in water, his presence was the atmosphere into which the Lord originally placed us. You might say that he clothed Adam and Eve with the light of his glory. Before they sinned, I believe our parents were radiant, enveloped in a beautiful light. God had made them like himself, so they were intelligent, rational beings. They had the capacity to make choices whether right or wrong, and they possessed genuine emotions so that they could feel joy, sorrow, and above all, love. God made us for himself. He did not make us to be creatures that run around on the planet. He made us to be children, 
to know him, talk to him, love him, to feel what he feels, and to think with our minds. He created us in his image. Did you say in his image? image. He also created us in his likeness, which means he started with Adam and Eve. They were holy. They were sinless. They were pure before God. I believe our, oh, I said that. They had the capacity to make choices, right or wrong. They possessed genuine emotions. They could feel joy, sorrow, and above all love. But then he placed a command in front of them. He wanted them to freely choose to obey him, not to be forced to obey. That they were told not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they did, a terrible change occurred. The presence of the Holy Spirit departed from them. The light of his glory which had clothed them was gone. Which I believe is at least one of the reasons why they knew they were naked. Has it ever struck you? Uh, it's an odd statement that after they sinned, it says they knew they were naked. It's, it's like, yeah, you don't have clothes on. There we go. How, how, did, you, how did you miss that? I'll now explain to you how I, I, I think they were clothed with light. And here's the real reason I feel sure of it. God always gets, he he comes back to his original plan. He designed you, the human race, to become children of God. He designed us in his image. He designed us holy. He designed us to be with him. And he brings things back to his original intention. Well, what will we look like when the, original, when he's, when he's, when, when the restoration has happened? What will, what will we look like when we're done? We're going, we will look like Jesus. Jesus shines, doesn't he? Who knows the best in the Bible about Jesus shining? I mean, who, remember Paul on the road to Damascus? Yeah, he's riding there uh, to, to Damascus and there on the road suddenly, the Bible kind of describes it that he rose up and Jesus did and, and there he was in front of him. Paul didn't see a vision of Jesus. He saw the resurrected Lord. He says, I'm an untimely born. I'm, I'm the last who, uh, who, who saw him. He didn't see a vision. He saw the real thing. And, 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 and he describes it and he says, he was brighter than the sun. And Paul being Paul, he stared at him. <laughs> what a guy. And, it, and what did it do? Blinded him. Now that's light. And you and I will look like Jesus. The day will come. I'm not making this up. You'll shine with the glory of the Lord. You too will be radiant. C.S. Lewis says something. It's almost disturbing, but I, be, I believe it's correct. Um, it's in his book called Weight of Glory. And he, and he says this. He says, if you and I could see the humblest, meekest, sort of least on whatever scale you want to look at. He said, if you, you looked at a Christian, and if you were to see that person, no matter how lowly, how poor, how, how troubled, if you were to see that person after the resurrection, he said, you, if you didn't know better, you'd fall on your knees and worship. 
We are becoming children of God. We are going to shine like Jesus. The resurrection that has taken place for Jesus will take place for us. This is where we go. So if we're going to shine there, I think we shone there in the garden. And I think that's what was lost. Why is that important? You and I were meant to be, to be in the Holy Spirit. Clothed with the Holy Spirit. Working, depended upon, listening to, interacting with constantly the Holy Spirit. This is not for some exceptional people who like hyper-spiritual stuff. To say, that, to say that cessation took place and that the Spirit of God is no longer around like this and we just sort of, you got a book, you don't need this. It misses the whole point. It is completely ignorant of what, what the Bible is saying. Bible is restoring to us what was lost. All right. They, the light of his glory, which had clothed them, was gone, which is why I believe at least one of the reasons why they knew they were naked. Suddenly they were alone. God was still present, but he was distant. He wasn't joined to them in the same way after Adam and Eve uh, sinned. Their sin had made them unclean. Their bodies were an unsuitable place for the Holy Spirit, for, pardon me, a Holy Spirit to dwell. Now they must function in their own strength and make decisions based on their own wisdom. They could still ask God for help, but it had come, become much more difficult to hear and obey. And that kind of dependence and, and, and obedience would become rare. The intimacy that they had had with God was gone. The ease of communication was gone. No longer was that intense presence of God infusing life into every part of their being. So they began to make more wrong choices and their bodies began to die. It appeared that God's original plan had been spoiled. He had, he had created a race of humans in his own image and initially in his own likeness, meaning holiness, with the goal that they would become his children. That they would love him, glorify him, and enjoy him forever. But by misusing the gift of freedom that he had given to them, they had separated themselves from the source that made all of that possible. And unless that relationship could be restored, God's original plan would be lost forever. But God always returns to his original plan. Would you say that? God always returns. Let's say it again. But God always returns to his original plan. This is true because his will is perfect in every way. And his great goodness cannot allow his will to change. To do so would be to compromise with that which is not perfect. And it would contaminate it with that which is wrong. Do you follow? If God has a will, how can he change it without contaminating it? If he has a plan for us, that this is his intention, his perfect plan, anything else is wrong and mixed with it. So he will always come back to his original plan. The thing with God is he's so creative, he'll find another way to get there. You know, we're, we're going to end up there in whatever road we have to take. <laughs> it's always going to come back to what is in his beautiful heart. To do... Uh, that's why, the, that's why the Bible is a progressive history of redemption. After his original plan was damaged, God immediately began working with the human race to guide us back to himself, back to his original plan, back to the intimacy which he originally intended for us. 
He won't be defeated. Say that. He won't be defeated. That which had been lost must be restored. Which means that humans must once again be clothed with the power of God. The Bible teaches us that his powerful presence will ultimately be given back to us in full in the age to come. But the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ have made it possible for the Holy Spirit to return to us now. The restoration of what was lost has already begun. You might say that Jesus has made it possible for the power, powers of the age to come to break into the darkness of this present age. That phrase is not mine. That's right out of Hebrews. Powers of the age to come have, have come to us. Look, here it, here's the deal. Will there be sickness in the age to come? So when you and I pray for healing, we are reaching out and taking a chunk, uh, as it were, of the, of the, of the, of the age to come, of, of the health and life that will be ours, and we're bringing it into the darkness of this present age. Will be there be confusion in the age to come? No. So when we ask God for wisdom, we ask God for his guidance, we reach out and just bring a, 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 the, the, the wisdom and, and grace that we'll have in, per, in perfect, bring it into the, into the present. We are bringing the age, the age to come now has already begun. Peter on the day of Pentecost said, this is that which the prophet Joel announced. The last days have begun. He announces it's here now. Though you and I still live in this dying world, what will be given to us in the future in full has already arrived in part. The original plan has begun to be restored. Jesus' cross and resurrection did not just forgive our sins. They gave us back the right to become children of God. Once we understand God's great plan for us, the importance of receiving the Holy Spirit becomes obvious. Learning to listen to him and to depend on him as our source in every area of life was never meant to be optional. It was always meant to be foundational for every believer. The Holy Spirit has again been given to us as our connection point with God. He allows us to hear and obey the voice of our Lord Jesus and enables us to worship our Heavenly Father. He is the one by whom our Father and our Lord minister to us. The Father and Son have come to make their abode in us, and they have done so by the Holy Spirit, who can now dwell within us. Through him, we can begin to taste the glories of heaven. I want to read you a f just a few verses out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul is describing the resurrection body. And he, he, listen to what he says. Somebody has questioned that, that you and I will be resurrected. This is, he's not talking right now. I mean, it, it applies to Jesus, but he's not talking about Jesus. He's talking about us. And he, says, and he says, don't you realize that the body you sow is, is but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something. He says, when you and I, when, when, a, when a dead human body is buried, it's like a seed of wheat getting stuck in the soil. And he says, but God gives it a body just as he wished. And to each of the seeds, a body of its own. This seed of this dead body of, 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 our, of our flesh here, 
comes up and it's a brand new body. And what kind is it? He says, well, all flesh is not the same flesh. There's a flesh of men and a flesh of beasts and a flesh of birds and a flesh of fish. In other words, the very stuff that you and I will be made out of in the resurrection is different than the flesh we have now. This is mortal flesh. It's real flesh, but I'm going to have something that isn't immortal. doesn't die. It doesn't get sick. It, it's, it, in fact, I'm going to be made out of something, so are you, that can, can withstand the un, 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 unrestricted glory of God. Remember what blinded Paul? It, it, that, that, that brilliant glory? Well, right now, if you and I were subjected to it, it'd fry us like a bug. But we'll be resurrected. And we'll be able to, we'll be able to be, we'll come right into his presence, into his unrestricted glory as children of God to the very knee of our Father and not be destroyed by that glory. Not be... Not, we've been, we've been, so he says, you're going to get new flesh. And then he says something else. He says, and there are, there are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly one is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. Now he talks about light, glory, radiant glory. And he says, there is a glory of the sun and a glory of the moon and a glory of the stars, for star differs from star. So also is the resurrection of the body. There is go, you, the, the, the body we have is going to be glorious. It's going to shine with the light of God, the holiness of God, as does Jesus. So, so also is the resurrection. He says it's sown a perishable body. It's raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. If there's a spiritual body, there is also a natural body. So when Jesus Christ came and died on the cross, Paul says he died not only to, for our sin, but he died for our body. He says it in Romans 8.3. He says he came and he said he, he took on the likeness of our, and he says, sinful flesh. And he said, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. What's this about? So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. In other words, the spirit could come within us. Jesus died for your body so that the spirit of God could come and dwell within you. That that which was our, the way we were made. That's which our parents were designed to be. In the spirit. With him around us. And, with, and literally within us. I don't know whether at, he, they, he was within Adam and Eve like that. I don't know. It doesn't say. But he will be within us. In fact, he's not there now. He comes and he dwells within us. The fullness of the Holy Spirit. The life of the spirit is for you. Yes. Have you welcomed him? Have you chosen to say, I will be a spiritual man. I will be a spiritual woman. I will move in the life of God. Amen. This is my birthright. It's who I am. Yes. This isn't for just a few people. This isn't for, for people who like spiritual stuff. I am spirit. I'm, I'm, I'm a child of God. So I'm going to learn to listen. I'm going to learn to watch him. I'm going to learn to pray as he guides me. I will learn to let the gifts of the spirit be at work in my life. I'll consider this normal. I'll consider this normal. I've been made 
to be his child. Lord God, we come to you this day and we are thankful for the word. Jesus, you've shown us the Holy Spirit so clearly. And we say to you this day, we welcome you, Holy Spirit. Why don't you say that? We welcome you. Come and have your way in me with your gifts and your grace. I need you like I need to breathe air. I was made to be in you. And I welcome you. Come, open my ears that I might hear your voice. My eyes that I might see you. I, I by faith, thank you for the powers of the age to come that have been given to me now through the Holy Spirit. I believe these things for my Lord Jesus has said it clearly. In his name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.